I'm going to just give you um, a very quick run-through of an update on the sexual orientation regulations. Um, I know a lot of it will be information you're already aware of, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but if you've got questions at the end, certainly do, do shout. And then have a brief look at the impact of the Human Rights Act on the debate. And then Charlie Pring is going to follow, and he's going to talk about Christians in employment. So, first slide... Um, looking at the situation in Northern Ireland, as I'm sure you all know, the Equality Act sexual orientation regulations have already been introduced there, came into force on 1st of January. Um, there was the application for annulment put forward by Lord Morrow in the House of Lords, and um, as Bishop Reader said earlier, the result of that was not a surprise. Um, it, it, didn't, it wasn't successful, but uh, Labour, Labour peers were under whip, um, ironically. No freedom of conscience for them there. Liberals voted with the government, so only leaving the Conservatives and crossbenchers with um, a free vote. Um, we've also got uh, um, judicial review proceedings, which the Christian Institute are bringing, um, and that's in the Belfast High Court, and that's to challenge the legality of those Northern Ireland regulations, and that's on two grounds. Firstly, on the way they've been introduced, for example, that the consultation period was unfair, um, in the sense that it was uh, over a holiday period when people wouldn't have sufficient time to, to properly respond and also that um, it was a, a very short consultation period. And then secondly, on the basis of human rights, which I'm going to talk about a little bit uh, in, in, in a little bit. So next slide. Um, in England, Scotland and Wales, we've got, we're, we're expecting what are called the Sexual Orientation Provision of Goods and Services Regulations due to come into force in April 07, but they should be published before then. They're not yet published. And as you all know, we're in the, at the stage of seeking wider exemptions for religious freedom. Uh, hopefully there will be exemptions for adoption agencies, but that it does not go far enough. We need wider exemptions for uh, uh, individuals in their everyday life, businesses, voluntary organisations, essentially for freedom of conscience. So what's covered... <coughs> Provision of goods, facilities and ser services, that's a very broad, uh, uh, it's not actually defined, it's an extremely broad term. And we're just given examples of what it might cover. Certainly education is covered, all schools. We've got no exceptions in there for denominational or, or independent schools. In fact, independent schools are specifically listed within the regulations as being covered. <laughs> Nurseries, we've, we've heard about uh, the designs of the NUT, on, on the minds of the children in nurseries, individuals, businesses, voluntary organisations, all covered. Now, there's different offences under the legislation, and I won't go into too much detail to confuse, but just as a broad overview, firstly, there's discrimination, it's one of the offences, which means that you can't treat anyone less favourably on the grounds of their sexual orientation. Indirect discrimination, for example, if you apply a condition that a considerably smaller proportion of homosexuals could comply with that potentially could be indirectly discriminating. Let's looking at examples. We've heard about how schools could be forced to promote homosexuality, could go as far as sex education, teaching about homosexuality and sex education as well as heterosexuality, reading books, assemblies, curriculum. Teachers, if you're a Christian teacher and you're in a, perhaps in an assembly, you might teach that uh, children about heterosexuality and sex within a heterosexual relationship being the only right um, way, and that potentially they could face disciplinary action, ultimately dismissal, if uh, perhaps a homosexual student felt aggrieved by that. 
Bed and breakfast, old people's homes could be sued for refusing homosexual couples. Query, adoption, it's not clear yet what's going to happen in that in terms of exceptions. A Christian wedding photographer, could he be sued? He doesn't want to take photographs at a civil partnership ceremony, but he does take photographs at heterosexual wedding ceremonies. Potential for him to be sued there. Another um, offence is harassment. And I'll just read it out to you. The definition of this is, on the grounds of a person's sexual orientation, A, engages in unwanted conduct that has the purpose or effect of violating B's dignity or creating an intimidating, hostile, degrading, humiliating or offensive environment for B. And you can see that that's an extremely wide definition of harassment and it's essentially opens the floodgates for all sorts of claims to be made. Creating an offensive environment for B, you can anticipate all sorts of scenarios where someone in their perception might feel that something that has been said to them is potentially offensive. And some examples of potential claims that someone might make, or just, just before I go into the examples, in addition, in relation to the harassment offence, the burden of proof has been reversed, which means that someone accused of harassment is no longer innocent till proven guilty. It's your responsibility to prove that you weren't harassing someone, which might be very difficult indeed to prove. Examples, a teacher could be sued by an agreed pupil for saying that in assembly that sex is only for marriage. People could say that's offensive to them, creates um, an offensive environment. Hospitals and hotels, if they've got bedside Bibles, homosexuals saying I've, that's a, a homophobic, book, homophobic book, again, an offensive environment, or perhaps um, an evangelical prison ministry uh, teaching that uh, sex with a heterosexual marriage is the only right way, homosexual prisoners finding that offensive. So what I've been talking through at the moment is based on what we have in, t in the Northern Ireland regulations. Obviously, the understanding is that the regulations for the rest of the UK, when introduced, will be very similar. Um, at the moment, in the Northern Ireland regulations, there is an exception for religious organisations, and hopefully that will also carry across into the regulations for the rest of the UK. Um, this covers churches and ministers, and that means you can restrict membership to church organisations. You can restrict participation in services or church activities. So if, if you've got a homosexual coming along, you can say to them, I'm sorry unless your uh, lifestyle is complying with the doctrines of our Christian belief, you're not allowed to take part here. You can restrict the use or disposal of premises and an administrator would not have to conduct a civil partnership ceremony. So there are, there are some exceptions there. However, they're limited. They don't go, firstly, they don't go far enough in that they don't cover individuals. They don't cover people in their everyday life. So people are still at risk. And we're Christians 24-7. It's not just on a Sunday that we are Christians. So the, ex the exceptions are not, certainly not far enough. Um, and they're also limited. That exception for religious organisation is limited. It doesn't cover you if you're um, a commercial organisation. And we know lots of examples where Christian organisations might well be commercial organisations, but it doesn't mean that the doctrines on which they're based are any less valid. So, for example, a Christian conference centre. Uh, there's obviously no exception for Christian schools um, and no exception where you're contracting with a public authority to provide a particular service to 
the um, community. So, for example, adoption agencies, perhaps um, a mums and toddlers group, uh, a youth children's youth group. There's all sorts of different examples where you wouldn't be exempt. So, enforcement. You could have injunctive proceedings brought against you, preventing you from perhaps action you might be taking and standing up for your freedom of religion. You could be subject to a fine. We don't know exactly what they're going to be, but press reports at the moment suggest between 500 to 5,000 for first offences, up to 25,000 for subsequent serious offences. And the Commission for Equality of uh, Commission for Equality and Human Rights is a new body um, expected to, to be established this year, which will champion. Um, the champion equality of treatment, uh, standing up for people's fundamental human rights, which obviously cover all the different uh, areas that we're aware of, such as sexual orientation, sex, race, religion, it would cover all of those areas. And that's the body that Bishop Reid referred to earlier, where Ben Summerskill, who's a representative of Stonewall, is actually also going to be a commissioner on that body. And at the moment, I don't believe there is um, an equivalent commissioner who's there to represent the rights of religious groups. Certainly, that is something that should be remedied. <coughs> Excuse me. Then, going on to the Human Rights Act, just again a very brief overview of the impact of the Human Rights Act on the current debate. The Human Rights Act, uh, 1998. This was incorpor incorporates the Convention rights of the European Convention of Human Rights and Fundamental Freedoms directly into UK law, and all legislation that's produced by this government has to comply with those convention rights. And uh, we, it, every piece of legislation has what's called a statement of compatibility. And so before it has a second reading, it's sort of like a health check. It has to have this statement of compatibility. So it is something that we should be expecting to have with the sexual orientation regulations as well once published. Albeit we would argue that they are in fact not compatible with the um, Human Rights Act. Public authorities and public sector bodies also must act compatibly. So, for example, if you work for um, a public sector organisation such as the NHS uh, and you were a Christian defendant to a claim, you could come, you could, when you brought your, uh, when your claim was, came to court and you're a Christian defendant, you could say, my employer is acting in breach of the European Convention of Human Rights. Um, another... Uh, time when it would, would come into play potentially is courts themselves when they're dealing with cases they have to interpret legislation in accordance with the convention rights so it might be that um, a person would say this piece of legislation has been brought against me in, in breach of my, my uh, religious freedom of, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion and this legislation this sexual orientation regulations they are not in accordance with the European Convention of Human Rights and the court would that would certainly be something they would consider and they would look at whether we would get a successful outcome would be um, a, a different issue the relevant are there is lots of different articles under the lots of different convention articles that protect people's fundamental freedoms the ones of relevance in the in the current debate so firstly article 8 which covers re respect for private and family life this is the article that the homosexual lobby would seek to rely on to say the sexual orientation regulations are compliant with convention rights. Uh, everyone should have a respect for their private and family life, and that's what these regulations are seeking to do. On the contrary, in reverse, we would say Article 9 
freedom of thought, conscience, and religion, which includes the freedom to manifest your religion in practice and observance, is one we rely on to say, in fact, the regulations are in, in breach, clearly in breach of our fundamental human rights. Certainly, if people were required to endorse or facilitate homosexual practice, for example, a B&B owner having two men upstairs in the bedroom, that's a direct breach of this particular article. Article 10, freedom of expression. So you can see that there's competing rights. None of those rights above um, that we've just looked at are absolute. They're qualified rights, and they can be infringed if necessary in order to protect the rights and freedom of others. So you see there's a competition of rights, which this whole legislation has been dealing with. And the issue then goes to proportionality. Has the correct balance been achieved between those competing rights in these sexual orientation regulations? We would say no, clearly not. Because, in fact, what has happened is that instead of having homosexuals uh, protected and Christians protected, we now have homosexuals being able to sue Christians and having rights over Christians. So there's, there's an, a, a lack of proportionality in the way the legislation is being introduced. And that can simply be reversed by introducing freedom of conscience exemptions for Christians. And we've got key people who have expressed serious concerns that the regulations interfere with religious liberty. Lord Morrow, and this was at the Lords debate on Tuesday the 9th when we had the rally outside Westminster. I am firmly convinced that the freedom to manifest one's religion is seriously undermined. The regulations threaten to override the consciences and free speech of Christians and others who object to homosexual practice. This contravenes Article 9 and 10 of the ECHR. Baroness O'Kane, I'm not quite sure how you say that lady's name. It seems extraordinary to me that we are now debating secondary legislation that is so flawed that the High Court has granted permission for a judicial review on the question of whether this secondary legislation breaches the Human Rights Act. Uh, and then finally, just um, finishing on where we are in terms of the judicial review proceedings of the Christian Institute, they are bringing judicial review proceedings in the Belfast High Court. And one of the grounds, as I, as I said previously, is that the regulations threaten to override the consciences and free speech of Christian teachers, parents and pupils, contrary to those convention rights that we've talked about. Um, if the Belfast High Court finds that legislation to be incompatible, we would hope for them to put forward a declaration of incompatibility, which would then trigger a power for the government, whether they use that power or not is, is again another matter, but hopefully we'd, we would see them then using that power to change the, what, what would be the offending legislation um, and a government minister would lay, lay a remedial order. And that outcome is expected on the 1st and 2nd of March, so watch this space. Watch this space. Charlie's up next. He's going to talk to us about Christians in employment. Okay. Um, what we wanted to do is just give you uh, an introduction uh, in relation to your rights as a Christian in employment. And I'm going to talk really about um, all of us who are employed in secular companies and what your rights are. If you, if you work for a Christian organization or a church, then uh, you're, you're, you're pretty much exempted from this because there are special rules for churches. But I wanted to just give you some information about what your rights are as a Christian and to encourage you really so you know where you stand and so you're well informed. Okay, so um, really the, the sphere in which we're talking about, there's lots of employment rights, but the, 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 the real issue is in relation to discrimination rights. 
and there are currently six sets of uh, discrimination rights that say that employers cannot discriminate against employees on any one of these six grounds. Um, and that covers um, long-standing sex discrimination, race discrimination, disability discrimination, age discrimination, which was introduced in October 06, and then the two sets of laws, which you'll see there from 2003, which is the Employment Equality Sexual Orientation Regulations and the Employment Equality Religion or Belief Regulations. <coughs> and um, as you can see, they were introduced in 03, and what they say is that uh, an employer cannot discriminate against its employees on the grounds of sexual orientation or on the grounds of religion or belief. And um, religion is defined extremely widely in the employment laws, uh, and so it covers the traditional religions, Christianity, Muslim, uh, Islam, uh, Judaism, but it also covers things which we may not consider to be religion. So it would probably cover uh, atheism and uh, agnosticism, if that's the right word, um, which means that people who have potentially no belief in God are equally protected under those laws as, as we are. But we do have rights under those laws. And as you'll see from the first bullet, the laws apply to not only the first day of your employment, but as soon as you apply for employment. Um, and from that point on, once the employer is on notice of your religion, if it then takes a choice not to recruit you pu purely on that basis, then on the face of it, that's discriminatory and would entitle you as a, an individual to claim against that company. Okay. And I should say as an, uh, as a, as a, uh, an introduction that um, I'm explaining what the law says on, on these grounds, but of course, if in your view the law is incompatible with your own Christian faith and the law of God, then the law of God should take precedence over what we do. But this, this is really just to let you know what, what employment law says and what your rights are. So what, what does the law say? Well, Christians have a right not to be discriminated against, which, as Esther mentioned, really means to receive less favourable treatment of uh, religion. And Esther's already been through the types of discrimination, but you have direct discrimination, so that might be uh, an employee who says, I will not ever recruit a Christian. You might have indirect discrimination. That, thank you. Uh, that might be, for example, um, an employer says, uh, all employees must work full-time, and that might be indirectly discriminatory on uh, female employees because they traditionally have uh, greater childcare responsibilities. Um, you have harassment, and that's really violating a person's dignity. It's, it's creating the offensive environment, and that's what Esther explained. But the important thing about harassment is that the perception of the victim, if I can call it that, it, it is given... Uh, uh, excessive weight and so if if you as an individual feel harassed and you're a particularly sensitive person then that may not that may not be a, a defense to say well that person was overly sensitive you have to look at the individual perception of the person who's receiving the harassment and victimization as well that means that if if you as a Christian make a complaint about the treatment you have received uh, your employer then can't take action against you or, or make you suffer a detriment because of that. You're protected from subsequent victimization. Okay. 
Um, the bishop mentioned about diversity training and equality training. Um, in, in my experience, I act mainly for employers uh, in the private sector, but in my experience, the, the emphasis on this diversity and equality training is, uh, is for public sector employers. That's people like the police, the NHS, local authorities, um, but also with large city institutions, the, the, the large banks especially. And, and the banks um, have received in, in recent years, particularly for sex and race discrimination, several multi-million pound claims, which is why they're particularly worried about these diversity issues. And I mean, in, in the public sector, I guess it's because um, so many people are now employed in the uh, public sector with a view, I guess, to keeping unemployment rates down and they create these crazy jobs like equality coordinators and directors with people who just sit in their office all day dreaming up new equality rules for people. But that, but that they're also heavily trade unionized, which means that there's a much greater emphasis on knowing your rights as employees. And also they're publicly funded, of course, by the government. And so they're in a, in a way beholden to the government's political correctness. In the private sector, you don't see so much of this uh, equality training, except if you're in, the, in a large city institution, you might see it more often. And the reason why employers are doing it is not just to be politically correct, but they're, they're, they're worried about claims because um, as an employer, you are responsible for the actions of your employees. So if you have an individual employee who harasses another employee making racist comments, for example, on the face of it, if that was done in the course of employment, the employer is responsible. But it has a defense if it takes all reasonable steps to prevent the discrimination. And so um, that's why they'll try and have policies and training to say you can't do certain things, you can't discriminate on this ground or that ground. It's to try and protect them from claims by employees. And of course, if you're told to do something which you feel is incompatible with your Christian faith, then, then stand up and, and do so. That's why you have, that's why you have a, a, a right as a Christian to do that. Okay. So uh, Esther's already highlighted the, the conflict of rights we have uh, as Christians to uh, believe that homosexuality is incompatible with um, our belief and the rights of homosexuals not to be discriminated against in law in the employment field. And gen generally, one set of rights is not allowed to trump another. Um, they're, they're, they're qualified rights, as Esther said. And if you come across a situation where there are, or where there is a conflict of rights, there's not usually an easy answer. It, it does depend, of, obviously, on the individual circumstances of each case and what is happening in your case. But it, it is important to remember that your rights as a Christian prevents discrimination against you. It's not a, a positive right to do what you like without any consequences. It, it means that you don't, you, it means you can't be treated less favorably than a comparable person. And it's always best to try and think about some practical examples rather than the abstract law um, so uh, the first example there, I said, can a Christian refuse to work with a, with a Muslim or somebody of a different faith or a homosexual in the same team as them? And I think on the face of it, the answer is no. You're expected to work with people uh, and get on with them and do your job. A different situation is if uh, the Muslim sitting next to me is, 
is telling me every day that I'm an infidel or that Christians are infidels, or if the homosexual next to me is, is graphically describing his private life. In that situation, I'm then being harassed by somebody, uh, and I find that offensive on the grounds of my faith. That's potentially discrimination uh, 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 on the grounds of my religion. Of course, the converse is true. There's a potential for a homosexual or for somebody of a different religion to argue that you're harassing them if you're always telling them that they're going to hell and, and all the rest of us. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a balance to be drawn, and, and we need to be sensible about what we do, but we do have a right to proclaim our beliefs. Um, a couple of cases from the, from the press recently. There was a, a situation last year um, which had quite a high media profile. Some firemen in Scotland were asked by the fire service to attend um, a gay pride march and give out leaflets about uh, fire health and safety. And they, they, I think it was about nine of them, refused on the grounds that they were Catholics. They felt that that was uh, incompatible with their, with their faith. Of course, they said that if there was a fire, we'd go and attend that, but we don't think this is sufficiently important. And also, they were concerned about receiving abuse because they were asked to turn up in their uniforms um, and they were worried about what would happen. Anyway, the, the fire service took disciplinary action against them. Um, the, the most senior fireman, I think, was demoted, which caused him a, a £5,000 loss in salary. He appealed that decision and was eventually reinstated to his uh, original role, but I think all of them received warnings about their future behaviour. There's a, a, a very interesting case which has just started uh, this week, I think, about a, a long-standing magistrate in Yorkshire who... Um, often is asked to place children uh, it, with, with couples in the adoption scenario. Um, and he asked to be, after the introduction of the Civil Partnership Act, which says that um, homosexual couples who enter into a partnership have equal status effectively with married couples, he asked to be exempted from hearing any cases that involved civil partnerships. And the the case managers or the court managers refused, said you've got a duty to hear those equally. And he has just uh, started a case against effectively the Lord Chancellor, the, 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 the individual responsible for all of the judges to say that that was incompatible with his uh, faith and his freedom of conscience. And this is really the first case where there has been, uh, or where there will be any sort of indication about how we deal with these conflicting rights, what happens when there is competition of rights, because um, even though these laws were introduced in 2003, they, they don't have a great deal of impact in um, certain sectors. Certainly the companies that I act for, I, I haven't had a single instance where I've given advice on either of those two laws. The, the, the major issue with, with private sector companies is still things like race and sex discrimination, because obviously that impacts a much wider uh, Num number of employees. Everybody is either male or female, so there's bigger issues there. So the, the Yorkshire magistrate case, which is in the employment tribunal, will be very interesting to see how, how that pans out and what, what they say and the guidance they give. But I expect that either way it will be appealed up through the, the court, so it will be some time before there's any definitive answer. Okay. So what about practical advice um, as a Christian 
with your employer, what, what can you do, what can't you do. Um, I, I think there's, uh, I, I would encourage people to let your employer know that you're a Christian. Don't be ashamed of your Christian belief. You have protection under law. Um, and, and I would guess if your employer is somebody who would resent the fact that you're in Christ, a Christian, you might want to reconsider working there in the first place. But of course, once you tell them that you're a Christian, they're then on notice of your rights. And if they take action on that basis, they know that they will potentially have a legal liability. Um, so uh, I, would, I would say, um, if, if you're wondering whether to put it on your CV, I would say don't hide the fact that you're a member of a church, you're actively involved in a church, because once they, once they uh, know, they're on notice. If you don't put it on there, they can't ever be taking a decision on, your, on grounds of religion or belief. Um, be firm, and as the bishop says, we, we, need, we need to be firm on, on issues, but at the same time, be sensible and, and rational. Um, these rights don't give you a right to sort of walk around your office with a loudspeaker proclaiming all sorts of things, but um, just tr try, and, try and be balanced, and if, if an opportunity comes up, then talk about the issues, but don't try not to go over the top, because there is a line to be drawn somewhere. And as I say there, don't be a Bible basher getting on everyone's nerves. I think we start from the point where we're paid to do a job, but at the same time, we're proclaiming our Christian beliefs. So just try and be sensible, I guess, is the advice. Because em em employers are aware of the laws, and they, um, th th they will take action if they think that, that um, you're, you're overstepping the line. So what, what happens if you're put in a situation where there's a conflict between your Christian beliefs and the law and you decide quite rightly that your Christian beliefs take precedence and you refuse to do what your employer asks you to do? Well, um, you may well face disciplinary action, um, which, means the, which means your employer wants to um, discipline you for what you've done. If, if that happens, you do have, as an employee, certain rights um, you should ask to see the disciplinary policy. There should be a written policy in force to check that they're complying with that. You should ask to see the written basis for what, um, what they're doing to check that it's uh, legally correct. You can ask a colleague or a trade union official if you're in a unionized company to attend the meeting with you. And that's important because you want to make sure that there's an accurate uh, reflection of what's spoken about in the meeting and that uh, they don't try and twist what you've said. And if, if it's unsuccessful and you lose your disciplinary case and you're given a warning or worst case dismissal, then you have a legal right to appeal that decision to somebody more senior within the company who hopefully would see some sense. Um, and conversely, what if you've got an issue at work you're worried about, you don't think that it's been uh, treated sufficiently seriously or you feel you've been put in a position which is um, incompatible with your faith, well, uh, I think that in the first instance, try and talk to the person you, you report to, your manager, to try and have an informal discussion about where you stand and what you think the rights and wrongs are of a particular, particular situation. If that doesn't work, again, you have a legal right to raise a grievance, which is basically a written complaint to your boss to say, I've, I feel that I've been treated badly. Um, and then if that doesn't work, they have to give you a written response to that. If that doesn't work, you have again a right to appeal that 
decision to somebody more senior. And this is a way to try and escalate your concerns to somebody who's actually got the power to deal with them. Um, if you're in usually a public sector company, but there are others as well that have trade union representation, you can try and get them involved. They know their legal rights. They're a lot more vocal about the, the legal rights than perhaps um, your colleagues. So they will be able to run the case, or not the, the case, but run the argument for you and give you some assistance and practical guidance. If, if there's an issue, for example, with the, with the NHS, um, where it's, for example, a, a public policy decision rather than just a random manager making a, a, a stupid call, then sometimes the only way to change people's minds is to bring it to um, the attention of local or national media. Um, that is going to be an exceptional case and, and will usually result from the employer already having disciplinary action. So it may be that disciplinary action is a, is a kickstart to getting the issue known to people. But um, you probably have all seen about the BA case with the, the lady who wanted to wear the, the cross at the check-in desk. Um, and it was the managers didn't care less. It wasn't until BA's... Um, reputation started to suffer and, and, and people started to speak out about it that eventually they, they backed down. So um, it's just something to bear in mind. There won't be many cases where that's going to be applicable, but just uh, to think about that, for, it might be, for example, this whole thing with the NHS, that might be the, 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 the way to sort it because this has obviously been a diktat from high up. It's very difficult to change one person's decision because it's, it's come right from the top. What we thought might be of value is to try and... Oh, sorry. What we thought might be of value is... Uh, and I'm used to really professional microphones, which actually can reach your voice. Um, uh, I thought what we might do is put into practice the sort of exchanges that you hear and see on the television and radio and mock up an interview that might be a typical news and current affairs interview, um, but help you translate some of the information that um, Charlie and Esther gave very eloquently and very succinctly into the sort of language you can employ um, if you're confronted by people who really don't understand our point of view. And our point of view is a point about fighting for the right of freedom to um, live and act according to our conscience. And that's what we're going to uh, attempt to do now. But Anne is going to set the scene. We're going to pretend that we're on Newsnight, a very special edition, and I'm going to be putting the questions to Gary, and he'll give us an idea of what the real Christian viewpoint is. So, hello and welcome to a very special edition of Newsnight. With me today is Gary Selfridge. He's the founder of a Christian pressure group who has been very vociferous lately about the introduction of the sexual orientation regulations. The CCTV's declared intent is to uphold traditional values in the United Kingdom and uh, no doubt to hold to account any media outlet or government official who would try to do otherwise. Gary, welcome. Thank you. Now, Gary, supporters of the uh, sexual orientation regulations and gay campaigners accuse Christians basically of lying about the regulations and exaggerating their impact. How do you react to that? Well, I'm fed up with that because we're, there's no exaggeration. What we're talking here about is regulations which go far beyond other laws. They actually would threaten Christians and other people of faith who want to put 
into practice their religious beliefs um, with the need they, they would compel them to actually promote homosexuality and well, that's what we object well, to. Well that's all well and good but let's go down to some specifics here. Christians have actually been accused of lying by claiming they would force Christian schools to pr promote homosexual lifestyles. It's just not true. The SORs don't even mention the curriculum. Yes but that's the very point. Uh, what we're saying is the fact is there's absolutely nothing in the wording of the SORs which excludes the curriculum and of course that means uh, the schooling in schools it's open to the full scope of litigation under these regulations they can be exploited by militants and we know for a fact that that's their intention now even if the intention of the people who claim to be writing the laws is that they're not going to be used it's a very simple matter give us an exemption and then you'll be fulfilling your claimed intention but of course they're lying to us of course let's just cut to the chase here what are you Christians afraid of what what are you afraid of that these regulations will do to your rights? Well, we're not afraid, but we object very st strongly to the threat to our freedom of conscience. And number two, which is really important, I think people have to understand that this, we object to the even more insidious and pernicious threat uh, of prosecution by militants uh, who want to intimidate and who, who only have to say that they feel intimidated or humiliated by us expressing our viewpoints and they can bring an action against us. It's called perceived harassment. Let me give you a, a bit of an explanation if I can. Uh, the SORs would allow the mere perception of offence to found a claim of harassment and that means it's possible, for instance, for a harassment claim to be based on a complaint by a homosexual that he went into a Christian bookshop, for instance, and he saw some literature there which describes or gave a text that God says homosexuality is sinful. That would itself found a claim. Uh, for instance, um, if a minister decided not to give holy um, sacrament to some worshippers in his church, there is a risk that that could found a claim for harassment. So what we want is protection in law. We're not intolerant. We want protection in law from people who would try to prosecute us to promote their uh, interests, promote their lifestyles, which we regard as sinful. It's as simple as that. Okay, well, why don't you just be honest? You say that Christians aren't lying, so let's Let's see if you are honest. You just want the right to discriminate against gay people when everybody else in the country will be governed by the law, which simply wants to extend equality to the, to the gay, uh, gay community. You want the right to be homophobic. Uh, you're really not listening to me or hearing me if you are listening. Look, we base, um, uh, we claim that the basic human right to live by what we believe is being infringed by these uh, regulations. We're not seeking laws uh, to impinge on the rights uh, uh, of homosexuals to exist, to work, to uh, do anything, but we are wholly, we are wholly tolerant of homosexuals in our society, but we challenge a law which is intolerant of us and would compel no, us. No, no, I think I'm right. You are homophobic. You want the law to justify your homophobia. Well, look... Uh, the word homophobic is a nonsense. It's a completely fallacious and deceptive term. What is it? It's a term which was devised by the gay lobby to try and intimidate us. It suggests that we have some sort of psychological disorder. It's nonsense. It doesn't mean anything. What we are is saying, we believe in a liberal and fair society in which, for instance, there may need to be laws which compel everybody to tolerate the existence of individuals. But that's wholly different to being forced by law to support and promote and facilitate homosexuals. In 
our businesses, we do not want to be forced to promote homosexuality. I mean, if I were a baker, I sell, sold you a loaf. If you were a lesbian, for instance, I'd be quite happy to sell you a loaf. But if you ask me to put up a gay pride poster in my shop window, I don't want to be forced by law to have to do so. So there you are. But surely, giving Christians these exemptions will allow churches to be little oases of homophobia. Well, look, I want to get rid of this idea of homophobia. It is not homophobic to take the point of principle upon which you base your faith and live by it. Otherwise, you're telling us we cannot live by God's law. We actually believe that God's law uh, supersedes man's law. And there are matters of principle, believe it or not, in this day and age, on which people will want to act. Um, there is a precedent here uh, for exemption from laws which govern the rest of society. Uh, Sikh motorcyclists, for instance, uh, are quite rightly allowed the exemption not to wear a helmet. If they're going to crash and kill themselves, that's perhaps unwise. But they are permitted, because of their, league, uh, their religious beliefs, not to wear uh, a uh, crash helmet, whereas the rest of us, if we ride motorcycles, must by law. That's a precedent for allowing religious belief to exempt you from the, uh, the, the, the imposition of the law. Take another example, and I heard the Secular Society and two cabinet ministers support this view. Nobody objects to a doctor who will not carry out an abortion because of his religious beliefs. No one objects to him doing that. So what is the difference between that and a Christian saying, I cannot and will not act in that way to promote and facilitate and encourage homosexuals? Think of schools, for instance, where they would have to teach that homosexuality is equal to heterosexuality, and the Christian teachers there refuse to do so what is the difference? Well, okay, you say you're not homophobic, but Christians are certainly prejudiced against the gay community. Well, I deny that. Where's the prejudice? Look, um, if I describe an adulterer as a sinner, is that prejudice? No, it's an expression of my faith. Uh, if I describe a rapist as a sinner, that is an expression of my faith. It's not prejudice. I'm telling you what I believe. So it isn't prejudice when I confess my belief that homosexuality is sinful and I base that upon biblical beliefs. Well, you say you're not prejudiced, but Christianity condemns homosexuals to hell. That's hardly a religion of love, is it? Well, again, you're distorting everything. Look, we don't condemn homosexuals because our gospel is a gospel of love and compassion. But while we might welcome homosexuals into our churches, the, the compassionate side of Christianity is to tell them the truth. The truth is they're, they're on their way to hell because they're living in sin. Uh, Christians oppose all forms of persecution. Uh, of everyone and every grounds, true and devout Christians despise persecution. What we're saying is, don't persecute us under these laws by making us have to facilitate and encourage and appear to sanction sin. Gary, we're living in the 21st century. I'm sure people listening to this interview will believe that you and your fundamentalist colleagues are still living in the dark ages. Religion has to modernise, it well, has look, to here change. We, here we go again. Firstly, look, we're not ashamed one iota of our biblically-based beliefs. Now, it's entirely virtuous, in my view. It's honourable, it's civilised, it's totally enlightened to hold the view that homosexuals live a sinful lifestyle. Uh, you can't compromise on God's law, and that's what people like you, with a secular humanist viewpoint, simply don't understand. Now, let me deal with this rather pejorative term or accusatory term of uh, fundamentalism. Let me ask you a question. Uh, do you believe in the fundamentals of democracy? Yes, of course. You do? Well, then, you are a fundamentalist Democrat. And what's wrong with that? 
I praise you for that. I believe in the principles of Christianity. I'm a fundamentalist believer in the principles of Christianity. There's nothing wrong with that. And the truth of the matter is, people on your side of the argument, or at least the argument uh, you present, do not want us to believe in absolute values. Absolute values don't tarnish, they don't change, their worth stays the same. Whereas what you want us to believe in is the latest fashion and a mode uh, of belief, which will, of course, change with time. But our beliefs are absolute. They're God's uh, given uh, laws to live by. Well, you say that Christianity is a religion of love and compassion, but your hardline attitude doesn't really reflect that. Well, <laughs> our opposition to the SORs doesn't demonstrate any degree of harshness or we're not abandoning uh, traditional values. Christian love isn't a display of some sort of soppy sentimentality. Look, what we're saying is, you know, you don't have to live this way. We're giving truth. It's the truth in the message of the gospel which is compassionate and loving. It'd be far worse if we let homosexuals believe that they were uh, living a non-sinful lifestyle. We passionately believe they're not, and there's nothing harsh in that. What I think you're seeking to, to listen to is a rather uh, liberal and uh, 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 ineffective um, style of Christianity, which the media seems to think is the only acceptable Christianity, because it isn't challenging. But don't you want to live in a liberal society where everyone is treated equal? Surely that's our right. But look, you're falling into the trap that you're making for yourself. The SORs fly in the face of a liberal and just society. In such a society, there would be tolerance to those of us with religious conscience. Now, a society which compels people under legal threat to behave in a way that supports sinful behaviour has ceased to be a liberal no, society. No, you are distorting the real purpose of, this, uh, of the SORs. They're regulations to ensure that people don't discriminate against the gay community. If Christians get exemptions, then anyone who's bigoted against, gay, against gays can claim ex uh, exemption and but can our discriminate. Message, look, our message is perfectly clear and simple and there is no distortion in this. We accept that in a liberal society it may well be necessary to have laws which compel us all to tolerate uh, the existence of other people, to tolerate the practices of which we may not disapprove. But the SORs go much, much further and they threaten all sorts of freedoms. They would force Christians to promote that which they believe to be uh, sinful to appear to sanction and approve those behaviours, those lifestyles, which their faith says you cannot support, you cannot um, uphold. Now, even if the intention of the lawmakers is to eradicate any form of inequality, and frankly, I don't believe that for a moment. I believe that their intention is to destroy the very unit of society on which uh, our great civilization is based, and that's the heterosexual man and woman as the basis of a family with children, even if it were their intention to simply try and uh, create an e even playing field, they're not achieving that. Far from that, they are achieving injustice and forcing Christians, people of conscience, to promote homosexual acts. Um, we're being forced by law to choose between God's law and man's law. But look, we've already got equal rights laws uh, to protect people of different races, to protect women, to protect old people, disabled people. What's oh, the difference? Oh, my goodness. Now you're becoming absurd. You're a very rude woman. Do you know that, Bishop Reed? <laughs> you cannot compare sexual orientation with being black or disabled. That's patently stupid. I mean, as Christians, we would... We would never oppose equal rights for people of different cultures or genders, but sexual orientation 
um, is towards homosexuality, that is, is a deliberate choice of lifestyle. There's nothing sinful about being black. I have to tell you, there's nothing sinful about being a woman or being disabled. Well, there is a weakness in your campaign against these equality laws, and that is that there is huge evidence coming into the public domain of unfair discrimination against gay, uh, against gay people, from GPs striking them off their patient list just because they're gay, hospitals turning, Where did you turning get this them away. From? There's, people are coming forward all over the country with this. No, no, what you're telling me is that you've been listening to Stonewall and Outrage, who are quite excellent PR machines for the homosexual lobby. What you're offering here is no evidence. It's nonsense. There's no huge weight of evidence. For months now, these organisations have been quoting anecdotal evidence of this person or that person turned away from a guest house. It's patent nonsense, and the government has totally failed to make its case for this legislation. Um, you know, you've, you, you, you are being hoodwinked in the media by the most brilliant propagandists who work like Ben Summerskill and uh, Peter Tatchell. They're quite excellent. I take my hat off for them. Uh, but they are people who are driving an agenda which will destroy the very traditions on which my faith is based. Um, you know, the government has been hoodwinked with them, and frankly, the government is in bed with them, if I can use that unfortunate re reference. But I saw the other day a piece of film showing Ben Summerskill, the chief executive of Stonewall, walking out of Number 10 Downing Street, where he can have a cosy chat, put a word in the ear of the Prime Minister and others. And of course, he comes from a, a deep-rooted Labour family. Uh, Baroness Summerskill was his aunt, uh, and his mother's been in the party, his entire family's been in the party. And now he's been selected to represent, um, to be a commissioner on the new body which will look at all these rights. We are being hoodwinked by people who've created uh, a, an assumption that there is real prejudice out there. You know, if you're a gay couple, you can find a guest house. You don't have to come to a Christian guest house and demand the right to perform um, sodomy in the bedroom. I come back to my first point, that Christians simply want freedom to flout the law, but want to rob the gay community of the right to equal protection under the law. Look, all I can do is reiterate that you're just not hearing. You're interpreting, interpreting the truth here in a totally perverse way. We want protection and law for our basic human right. That's a right to think to believe and then to act on that belief. It's a profoundly held view. Maybe easy for secular people to say, we can change our view according to the circumstances. People who live a biblically-based uh, Christian life cannot. Uh, now, the best legal minds in the country are telling us, and that includes Lord Mackay, uh, that these regulations override the consciences and free speech of Christians and others and are in clear contravention of Articles 9 and 10 of the European Convention of Human Rights. But Everyone knows, everyone watching this uh, program tonight will know that you just represent fringe religious opinion. The mainstream churches well, haven't supported it. Well, now you're me up. Well, you're entirely wrong there. Look, um, in the case of Northern Ireland, where the government has now sneaked in these regulations without any debate, but they're able to use direct power of the, of, the, of the Secretary of State there, they got them on the statute book. The effect there was something that nobody else could have done. They united every denomination in Northern Ireland in opposition. Roman Catholics and Protestants who have been at each other's backs and throats uh, for the last 40 years were united between this. Now, for the rest of the Great Britain, in the consultation process that took place uh, on the SORs that are going to be imposed here, um, everybody on the main churches and the main faiths and the main 
uh, institutions objected on the same grounds, and that includes the Church of England, the Catholic Bishops' Conference, the Evangelical Alliance, CARE, um, uh, the Christian Institute, the Anglican Mainstream Body, Affinity, the, uh, I may say, the okay, Christian okay. Congress of Traditional Values, and you've lawyers' made, groups and not everybody else. But even so, it's a, well, battle, you, it's a battle that you can't win, because the government, the majority of MPs and Lords, and most commentators agree that the SORs simply create a level playing field for homosexuals just the same as everyone else. I'll Why fight I'll, I'll deal with a level playing field a matter in a moment, but look, you're wrong. We took a demonstration to London, we created a public awareness which has brought into the newspapers of this country a far greater weight uh, of comment from ordinary citizens who are saying, we will not tolerate this, we do see the inequity of this law impinging on the rights of, uh, of, of Christians. See, the people who are writing this law claim to be liberals, to be tolerant, they're wholly illiberal and wholly intolerant. Uh, let me deal with the level playing field thing. These regulations persecute Christians by threatening to force them to promote acts of sinful behavior. That's what they do. This isn't a battle about e equality. We're not resisting uh, equality. It's a battle to retain the human right to live by uh, religious belief. Um, can I just quite share with you what I think is, is the clearest perception of all of what we face in the battle here? And this is a declaration to any viewer, any listener who's a Christian. Martin Luther said that if we profess with the loudest voice every part of our faith, except the very part that is under attack by the world at that moment, then we are not confessing Jesus Christ. In other word, words, you prove your, your, your loyalty as a soldier where the battle rages, not in all the other bits and pieces you can mutter to yourself in your bedroom. Well, that's very profound, Gary, but I think you're sounding well, don't rather mock it. paranoid. Don't mock it. I'm quoting a great think, Christian are you, author. Are you so paranoid that you think the government's out to get Christians? Well, look, I can point to hard evidence of the government's destruction of Christian principles and values. Uh, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm sure we're not paranoid, but, you know, um, even the paranoid can sometimes be right. Just bear that in mind. Uh, Christians are being victimised by these regulations. The, reg the government is clearly obsessed. And that's not just my word. In the Lord's debate, Lord uh, uh, Morrow pointed out that the government's commitment to the homosexual lobby was uh, beyond belief. Um, you may know that the government has pursued a relentless uh, series of major statutes on behalf of gay rights. They've passed eight major bills, major statutes, since 1997. No other group, even majority groups, has been given the same privileges in, in law. Uh, I come back to this point. Our country is abandoning justice and liberal standards by imposing regulations to outlaw a man's right to religious belief. And worse, they're imposing laws to compel him, under threat of prosecution, to behave in a way that supports the sin he abhors. Now, that is the action of an intolerant society, an oppressive society, a tyrannical society, and that ceased to be a just and, and, and reasonable place in which to live. Can I offer you this final thought? It was actually suggested by one of the lords in the debate that the government's clear obsession with helping the homosexual lobby gain rights and law suggested to him that they might well be proposing down the line a law which will make homosexuality compulsory. I don't think that's a joke. Well, Gary, on that note, we'll say goodnight. Thank you.
Uh, we didn't have time to rehearse this as well. We have scripts. But what we're trying to do is, is demonstrate that we should have no fear in answering the points. There are real arguments, and we will have a handout which will not give you all the text of this. We'll give you bullet points. But wherever you're challenged, know what the answer is. Don't mutter and, and, and don't abuse. Uh, learn what the answer is. I mean, if you read your Bible, you should know what the basis is. The bishop gave us an analysis this morning for what we believe to be sinful. But present that in language which people can understand. Our opponents in this battle are liars. The bishop was on television and radio for about 15 hours uh, a week or two ago when we took a demonstration up to London. And there wasn't one occasion in which Stonewall and um, Outrage, thank you, thank you for my prompt, uh, were not deliberately distorting the law. They claimed that, for instance, schools were protected. No, they're not protected. That churches and religious freedom was protected. No, it's not protected. We need exemptions which go far beyond what the government is likely to offer in the next few weeks. And I think um, uh, Esther indicated that we could expect to see uh, some drafts uh, in maybe March. I mean, the fear is, as I understand it from some of the parliamentary soundings we've taken, is that they will sneak them in to perhaps even less than the consultation process in Northern Ireland of six weeks. They will do so because this is secondary legislation which doesn't require any debate in the floor of the House of Commons. They can just nod them through. Now, the majority of them believe that we seek to be above the law. We do not. We seek a law which is fair and just to our belief. That's that's what it is. So don't shrink from that. We are not seeking to be above the law. Being exempt from a law is not new. There are precedents for it. They gave it to the Sikhs over the motorbike thing. It's a very simple illustration. But think of those illustrations to argue your case. And every law discriminates in some way or another. But law should not persecute. And this law would persecute us uh, in, in not wanting to promote, not wanting to resist their attempt to compel us to promote things we think are sin sinful. So I hope that was helpful. Thank you.